heavily, I'm a clown. Hey, what's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of the Bitcoin Echo Chamber. This is episode number nine. I invited my friend Rolo McFlugel onto the show. Rolo hosts a podcast where he talks about Austrian economics and libertarian ideologies and Bitcoin, too, of course. In this episode, Rolo and I get into free market economics and libertarian ideologies and talk about some of the ways that the state tends to suppress free market action and how the capitalist system that we currently live in, at least in the Western world, is sort of a quasi-cap capitalism and not really true real capitalism, much like the not real socialism meme. This is, you know, not real capitalism. I had a lot of audio desync issues with this episode, so I tried to fix most of it in post. So if things sound a little bit weird, or if you hear like some weird skips or one of us are stuttering, it's because we're trying not to talk over each other during the audio desync, but I think it sounds pretty good in post. If this is your first time here, don't forget to subscribe to the show before we get started. And I, so far, I've been pretty consistent with a Sunday evening upload schedule, so I'm probably going to try to keep that going. Probably going to be doing one episode a week on Sunday evenings. More, maybe, at some point. Uh, we'll see. We'll see how things go. But right now, I'm going pretty well with just the one guest per week. It's been a little bit difficult trying to get guests lined up, but not impossible. So I'm going to keep this going the way it is, and we'll see where it takes me. Let's do a quick word from the sponsors, and then we'll jump into the interview. This episode of the Bitcoin Echo Chamber podcast is sponsored by WTFHappenedIn1971.com. The economics meme taking the world by storm where all of us are trying to find out the answer to what the heck happened in 1971. WTF1971 also has a merch store now. You can find it at WTF-1971.creator-spring.com. I'll post a link to that down in the show notes if you want to check it out. Thanks for the support. Rolo, how are you doing today, my friend? Doing great, Colin. Thanks for having me on. Oh, I'm, I'm glad you were able to come on the show. You actually had me on your show before. Uh, what's that one called again? The Rolo and Slappy Show? Yes, it is. And that was... Try to look through my notes real quick. Episode... Actually, it's been a while, I think. It was like 80-something, wasn't it? No, it was in the hundreds. Oh, oh. here it is. 126. Oh. Huh. January 2nd, so it's, wow, it's been two months. <laughs> How about that? Well, that was a good time. We talked to like a lot about Bitcoin on that show, and we had actually gotten into talking about how we met each other, which was through, I think it was probably through JW's um, like weekly Q&As that he was doing, which kind of right. turned into show up and ask these guys questions and let them talk, <laughs> yeah. which was, that was fun. I, I like doing that. Oh, yeah, Absolutely. It's uh, I've I've learned so much by being uh, in that in that group and, and around JW. Yeah. Yeah. And so for those that don't know, um, for my viewers that don't know, JW at one point in time had like an economics course um, and he had actually reached out to us and asked if we were interested in going through it. And, and we did. Uh, nowadays, that course is available on on YouTube. You can find that if you go over to JW's YouTube channel and you can watch all that content for free. It's It's probably like five or six hours the whole thing i think yeah just because it's the straight videos when we did it uh i think it was probably eight or nine hours when, we, when i did the course because it you know he would pause the video and have talk and talk himself or oh, and have yeah. discussions so right so and now now if you just go to youtube and listen to it on like 1.5 speed you could probably get through it in like three or four hours but I, it's such a good crash course for people that 
um, either whether it be in Bitcoin. I think even if you're not even interested in Bitcoin, it's it's still a pretty good intro. Oh, abs- yeah, absolutely. And that's really just just what investing is. That really kind of pulled a, a veil of mystery, or not mystery, more of ignorance from away mm-hmm. from me. Because he, he really drove the point home that if you're trying to speculate on something, if you don't have insider information, and insider information doesn't mean you know bad or illegal, but if you don't know something that everyone else doesn't know, then either you're guessing or you just you just have no competitive advantage over everyone else. So it's not really good speculation. You could get lucky. But chances are you're just going to kind of be, you know, going with whatever the uh, the the current is hmm. in the in the stream. So that by itself was very valuable. Yeah, he really helped me sort through that concept in my mind. JW is really good at, at laying out concepts very concisely and very clearly. Uh, and then he he also kind of finally cemented in my mind the idea that passive income is not a real thing. It it doesn't <laughs> exist. Yeah. You work. You work for your what you get. Yeah, yeah. I, I know because I've been involved with trying to do some, you know, e-commerce stuff and and business on the internet, and it's difficult. And a lot of people play it off as not play it off, but describe it that as passive income. And it's man, just going through that, through some of the courses I did, and and trying to to make stuff. You eventually might get to the point where, you know, you can make money in your sleep, but it takes a ton of work up front. And even you still have to do work with it as a, you know, customer service and everything. But, um, yeah, there, there's no such thing as you just kind of press a start button and then just money starts flowing in. Delayed payments on your sweat equity. Right. Yeah. That's, that's basically what it is. It's just uh, you just put a ton of work up front. But people don't always like to talk about that when they talk about quote unquote passive income. Right. Yeah. And no, like what really got me bad when I first came into crypto was the cloud mining. Cause I was like, Oh, you know, this totally, cause like on paper, it makes sense. It's like, okay, these guys have overhead. Um, they don't necessarily want to sell this crypto to cover all of their overhead. So they're accepting cash from me to help cover their overhead. And then they're going to pay me out in some of the crypto that they get. That's not what was going on at all. Those things are all scams. Like, they're all scams, and especially when you get into the terms and service of those things, where they like they reserve the right to not pretty much not pay you at all, and your your contracts are in no way whatsoever legally binding, and they reserve the rights to like solely determine daily payout rates and all this type of stuff, and it's like it's it's scams. I don't know if you ever got tricked into cloud mining or not. Not so much cloud mining. There was other stuff that were that you know, after I'm done with it. And looking back in hindsight being 2020, it's like, man, I can't believe I like gave them money. <laughs> and because I, th- I think part of it is that, you know, Bitcoin is a space where it's just like exploding and it's and it's the free market doing it. It's it's something something crazy. So for a guy like me, who's a, a libertarian and, and loves these things, I'm thinking stupidly that. Oh well, it's the free market, and people are just innovating, and it's all great. Not realizing, well, there's just this means that there's just a ton of scams. Uh, just because there's there's not real the the markets aren't very mature, so there's not good. Uh, there's no insurance anywhere. Uh, there's it's very uh, guerrilla in terms of uh, sort of regulation, private regulation even. 
um, and just kind of oversight with people. You know, you go on some random website that you don't know if it's how trustworthy it is to say whether or not this business or service is legit or not. And maybe they're getting paid. Maybe they're just ignorant. Maybe they're just not really spending much time on it. So it's uh, it's an interesting space. And part of it, I really love that it's that there's so many scams. Not not that I I don't love that. I shouldn't say that. I think it's very interesting that it's showing what happens um, when you have a new market without any sort of intrusive third party really getting too involved in it. So it's showing, really showing a lot of uh, people's true colors that they uh, will talk the talk about free markets and voluntary transactions and just, you know, be sticking a knife right in your back as they steal your money. <laughs> so, you know, I would actually make the argument too that um, what we're in right now is, is you know, it's, and I, I know you think this way too, it's, it's kind of quasi capitalism. It's not really re- a real free market. Uh, and, and like part of the reason for that is just because of how much easy money and credit there is. And you have to wonder, you know, if we really were in like a free market with a sound money already and this whole Bitcoin thing came along, I have to think that there wouldn't be nearly as much like throwing money to the wind in terms of investing in all these scams and, and get rich quick schemes and, and nonsense. Because I, as a society, I feel like we'd be wholly different. Yeah, I, I completely agree with that. Um I think that the more I learn about this, Bitcoin, really trying to understand Bitcoin really made me uh, start learning about money because you have to in order to understand why Bitcoin is really uh, what the value proposition is and and why it's important and why people are saying that Bitcoin's going to become money, then you really have to understand money, the history of it and the economics of it. And just the way that this easy money, it, it's, it's just been such poison to society that you're, you're absolutely right, that people just don't value it as much. They're, they're quicker to uh, take these risks because, you know what, your money's not, you know, just holding on to your money, it's not going to retain its value and you're going to lose it. So it just creates this, this snowballing effect and this really bad uh, positive feedback loop for people that it's not, you can't draw that direct line between like, oh, well, easy, there's easy money, so therefore people are, are willing to uh, engage in scams. It's more, more of this really like over time, people's time preferences just get eroded and just increase, increase, increase so that they're just making stupid decisions because the world around them that's the environment they're in. So it's, I don't really fault a lot of people for it. There's some people I think take more fault than others. And, uh, you know, as you're getting, as you're getting burned, if you're not, if you're not learning from your mistakes, then yeah, I think you're, you're getting some faults, but I think it's the environment that we're in is just so toxic in terms of money that, um, I'm reading through, uh, um, uh, the Ethics of Money Production by Guido Holzman. And I think you, you've read that before, right? I have, yeah. That's a great book. And that's really making me understand how evil, uh, you know, state control of, of the money supply is and how that just, it, the effects are, are just so deep and it's and historically uh, goes so far back that 
I, I have a hard time really uh, blaming just your average Joe who just is born into this society and just accepts that, hey, government controls the money and inflation's good because that's what we always have. And, you know, I'm, I turn on the news and they say that, you know, you know whatever they do about the, the monetary system and they just accept it because why else would they think any differently? It's It's the nerds like us that... <laughs> start reading books and and talking to each other and thinking about it that really really make the uh the light bulb start going on well yeah you know the movie the matrix was way ahead of its time because uh it's like when you when you start to learn and there's more there's more of these types of things you know it's not just monetary economics but like when you start to really get into these things and you start to see the world for the way it really is and you look around and you see all these people that are still just stuck in the matrix uh, and they don't care because they, they don't know what they don't know. You know, it's not their fault. Um, in some cases, it's willful ignorance, but in a lot of cases, it's just information overload. It, it's, I th- it, was, uh, it was the wise King Solomon who said that with wisdom comes great sorrow. And I, I totally understand what he meant when he said that. Yeah, absolutely. And that a little while ago would have been very depressing to me because I came into Bitcoin through the libertarian avenues. And so when I first started becoming a libertarian and understanding the ideas, it's one of those things that you just want to be an evangelist for it. You want to tell everyone and their mother about it, how great these ideas are and how freeing they are. And, and in my head, and I think a lot of people do this, is that they, they think that um, the way to achieve the freer society is that you have to convince everyone to reject the state, reject these these bad institutions that they have, and and uh, accept these other ones. And that would get me really... It's depressing. <laughs> really, really depressing and frustrating if you think that way. And then I, I kind of changed my opinion on that and started started thinking that technology was going to make the state obsolete, and you start seeing things like Uber and Lyft and the ride-sharing services, and people are accepting the the market solutions. The basically, uh, you know, someone just said, "Hey, I think the the taxi services are are terrible. They're unnecessarily expensive and and are destroying competition. So, without permission, I'm going to create this this app and allow people to give rides to each other." And that's like a very anti-state free market act and when you look at it that way that it is anti-state that you would think that well no one's going to do it but the way it got presented it was just a better better solution to the than the solutions we had currently and people just accepted it because it was better and so i don't think that most people realize what they were doing when they switched from using taxis to Uber and Lyft. I don't think people, the vast majority of people didn't realize that they were making this conscious decision that they were rejecting part of the state and pursuing a, uh, a, a more moral and, and economically productive uh, thing by, by using these ride-sharing services. They just did it because it was better. Yeah. And so that's what I think that Bitcoin's going to do, that I don't think that people really need to understand money and Bitcoin. It's just going to be so much better than everything else that you're going to kind of be an idiot 
if you don't eventually transition into it. So I don't think there's going to be this this great monolithic event where everyone says we shall use Bitcoin now and rejecting everything else. It's just going to be a slow kind of thing. And and I don't think many people are going to be left too far in the dust. Um, just like I don't think people have been left in the dust by, uh, you know, switching from taxis to ride sharing services or from using hotels to, to more Airbnb. Uh, so that makes me very, uh, it, it really makes me look forward to, uh, to the future. And the same thing applies to like the internet. Maybe the internet's an easier thing to, to have as an analog for, for Bitcoin because it is a very technical thing. And it's funny. People say, well, how are you expect people to use Bitcoin if no one's ever going to really understand it? Well, you use the internet. Yeah. Do you know how the internet works? No. <laughs> so do you need to know how it works? No, of course not. I mean, I think that there's uh with, with things like Bitcoin and other, other free market solutions, you have maybe a kind of a secondary benefit that, that maybe, maybe it does flip a, a light switch in someone's head and maybe using Lyft and Uber makes people realize, ah, oh, that taxi thing was really, really terrible. And, and why was that? Why were taxis like that? And maybe they, uh, they understand that there's, it was just so, um, regulated by the state and that they just destroyed the ability for people to add supply to that market hmm. that it really just got people, you know, in a bad spot. So, I think there's little side benefits with that, and I think that can accelerate um, Bitcoin and, and other other uh, market solutions. But I don't think it's like the prime mover. I think it's just the technology that uh, it's just better. And so it, it's kind of like this uh, um, looking looking through the history of the world and seeing how technology has changed things and how it's made people more productive and, and more free that it's just this almost inevitable um, tidal wave that just keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And the state and other bad actors may try to build things against it. But I mean, as the momentum just increases and the momentum is ahead of what anything that the state can do, they're just, they're going to keep getting further and further and further and further behind. Until one day, hopefully, people say, like, remember we used to have that government thing? Like, what what was that for? Yeah. Yeah, well, we know for sure the state's really good at um, badly using resources, you know, misallocation of capital, um, poor planning, bureaucratic organizations. So, like, anything that the state tries to do to disrupt generally productive free market solutions that have high demand and solve real problems like they're gonna fail miserably at and their only real recourse is to try to just jump in and take it over and over regulate it because if they don't get themselves like just completely interwoven i mean the post office is a great example you know the free market could could do what the post office does a million times better despite what anybody tells you about about gravel roads and snow banks but the the if the if the government hadn't have jumped in and interwoven itself and literally made it illegal for people like UPS to deliver a letter, you know they would be replaced. Oh, absolutely. And and once these uh, market solutions start taking hold, it's very difficult for the state to not be seen very poorly 
um, like with Uber and Lyft. I mean, if the state tried to make them illegal, they did try to make them illegal. And if they succeeded in, in making so that they destroyed those, those services, people would like flip out. That would be very, very bad. Um, even for the government's interest, mm. because they would, they would lose a lot of favor. You almost needed it like with a uh, bring up post post office. Uh, Lysander Spooner is American. Uh, what was it? Mar- American mail, American letter company. I, uh, I'm butchering the name. But Lysander Spooner came up with an alternative free market alternative to the post office in like the mid 19th century and was able to, through competition, drive the price of stamps down, even for the, the post office. And he only went out of business because the state just was nonstop suing him. But if you had that today, I mean, we can we can scale things up better today than we could have 150 years ago. And with the Internet and with information traveling so quickly, um, I think that it would be a lot have a lot more visibility that, uh, that, that hey there's this better thing and we don't have it because these guys in Washington DC are just making it illegal for for no good reason so uh, Rollo, let's talk about let's talk about how you first got into Bitcoin uh, now were you uh, like an economics guy before you got into Bitcoin or after I would say before it was part of the uh, I guess what I got into Bitcoin through, you know, the libertarian circles. And what got me into libertarianism was mostly economics. Uh, so I was starting to to read and learn a lot about that. And, you know, this Bitcoin thing popped up and I heard about it. And it's like I didn't understand it back then. I, I forget what year it was, probably 2012, 2013 maybe when i heard about it it was before before the price spiked up to uh like 11 or 1200 bucks and i remember thinking like i should buy some and i just never did and then seeing the price go all the way up and thinking man i i missed and uh yeah it was just it it was it was uh promoted as just kind of a thing a way to uh, have money without the government being involved so i thought oh that's cool without Without understanding any any of money economics, other than just kind of the surface stuff about hey the Fed's bad and uh, it adds adds supply, and that that creates a lot of inflation. Um, it wasn't until the last less than a year when I started, I got back into Bitcoin again. Uh, well, I'd bought some between now and and back then. But I didn't really understand how Bitcoin worked. Uh, there was that, that long kind of bear market where it was just kind of sitting there. And I thought of it as a, a hedge against the current system that, hey, maybe this Bitcoin thing. Will, if, if Bitcoin works out, then I'm going to be in a great position. If not, then eh, whatever. So I'll just let it sit there and see what happens. And then as it started becoming more popular, it started becoming popular talking about in the libertarian circles and we started getting all these altcoins and and just all this information was coming uh you know a million miles an hour from a million directions and i said oh let me actually let me start learning about how this actually works and uh i bought i started watching some videos i bought mastering bitcoin so did you fall down that altcoin rabbit hole at one point yeah unfortunately i did uh i was 
not that I ever thought that anything was like great um, outside of Bitcoin. It was always like, hey, I think that Bitcoin's ultimately gonna, you know, be the best thing or, or at least dominant. I didn't think, I didn't have the uh, necessarily have a maximalist perspective. Just figured that, well, I think these are all like these altcoins rising in value are just all really all connected to Bitcoin with with the price fluctuations and there's you know trying to like read through the uh you know what they offered and and see what people were saying in their communities and it wasn't very convincing that they were offering really anything and i was just doing it just to increase how much bitcoin i had and i really started to uh notice that it was all built on nothingness when you know i made a lot of money just by holding random altcoins not a lot of money but but i increased um i was in that uh you know late 2017 bull run where everything just shot up and i remember you know people would i would talk to people about it and say oh would you pick and i just like or why'd you pick what you picked and and i was like i just picked it randomly i mean there's no (laughs) there's no rhyme or reason to, to what i picked and they all went up and then i start noticing all these people that are becoming these experts in, in altcoins and, and speculating here. And it was like, you hear what they're saying and it's just, oh, this is nonsense. So before I had the, the real economic grounding in it of why they, they're basically all just scams or, or, or junk, I, was, I had that feeling just because it didn't make sense why, why people were, were making money. And people were calling themselves uh, experts and and all that. There's some f- pretty funny videos when you look back. Uh, are you familiar with Doug Polk? Yeah, I, I, I I'm kind of hot and cold about Doug Polk. Sometimes I like him, but in general, I think he's he's kind of a knucklehead. But <laughs> he's funny. I'll give him that. Yeah, that's what he he's funny. And I remember he did this video about these guys that were uh, they might have been in their early 20s and they were saying stuff about different altcoins about why they thought it was going to why they're going to be good yes i remember that like, yeah we see this is going to plateau around here and just like it was like they were talking about verge or something and it was just utter nonsense i remember a video of like these 16 year old kids in a garage somewhere like standing in front of their dad's car collection and yeah. I, I don't I was like somebody's garage or something like that. And mm-hmm. these kids are already like super popular from all of these car, these exotic cars that they film themselves with. And they built this audience and literally all they were doing was like shilling referral links. Like this is when I remember starting to really take a step back and just being like, what the hell is going on right now? It's like these 16, 17 year old kids giving investment advice on the internet and spamming their referral links and talking about like, well, you know, I'm looking at the charts right now and I see XRP is down to a dollar seven or $2 and 30 cents. That's a steal at this price. I'm like, what is this kid even talking about? Like literally he, he does not know what he's saying. <laughs> that is the exact video that I'm talking, that I was talking about. And another one that was, uh, I, I was talking to a coworker who was, you know, into Bitcoin and, and altcoins and everything. And he mentioned this one uh, altcoin that he liked. And I said, oh, what do you like about it? And he just said the price. And he did it with kind of like a, a smile on his face. Like he knew that it was just, just you know, pure hoping that the price goes up. And I, I, tweet, I went on Twitter and, and said like, man, it's frustrating that... Um, and this was before I, I was rejecting altcoins. I thought that maybe they might serve a purpose. And uh, 
I said, it's, it's frustrating that when someone brings up an altcoin and, and you ask like, well, what's good about it? What are the benefits from it? And they just say the price. And it's like, I, that doesn't really help me that much because it doesn't tell me, it doesn't, doesn't help me understand why the price is going to appreciate in the future. And I said that in less words, but it was, uh, it was Jeffrey Tucker replied, because I might have re- sent something to him. And he's like, what do you mean? The price is, is, what, uh, is what's most important. So why would, why would you need anything other than the price to, to understand why something's uh, valuable? And it's like, man, of all, like, you should know better than that. Because are you telling me that, that a price of a house in 2007, because it's really high, means that it's, that it's really good? I mean, how unbelievably stupid is that? Especially coming from a guy who should know better like that. And that's, that's when I was starting to be like, wow, it's, it's these bad ideas are, are getting really pervasive. Yeah, I think that the altcoin market um, really did a good job for me of kind of exposing the cracks in the facade of a lot of the traditional legacy financial world. Because most of those so-called experts were just as fooled by the, all the nonsense as everybody else. And it was like you took a step back and like you looked at sort of the meta picture and you're just like, None of these people have any freaking clue what they're talking about. Like, CNBC doesn't know what they're talking about. Like, nobody understands this thing, with the exception. And that was when I I turned my attentions um, specifically to, like, developers. I remember I, I made a Twitter with the sole intention of following people who had been in Bitcoin, like, since the beginning or for, like, a long time. I found, like, curated lists of people who were, like, well-known Bitcoiners that really understood the technology. I started following, you know, like, Bitcoin core developers, like, people that that really actually understood what was going on. And it wasn't until I started doing that um, that I was able to sort of, like, start peeling away a lot of the, the, the nonsense that I had picked up from various YouTube channels and stuff like that. And, and it took me months to really sort through like my understanding of the technology and like what parts of the, um, what parts of economic theory were actually like most applicable to Bitcoin. Yeah. It's been only the last, been less than a year since I've really, uh, really gotten on, on what I think is the right path with, with understanding altcoins and, and Bitcoin and, and money. And it was really going back to the the JW stuff was was hooking up with him and and hearing that. That's when the way he explained it. That's when everything just kind of fell in place together. And all these, a lot of these ideas were kind of, you know, unconnected in my head, floating around, banging against different parts of my skull, having you know tendencies to think a certain way, but not a, not being able to put everything together. And then talking to him, going through his course, it. it everything snapped into place and I was like oh yeah this this makes a lot of sense and then you know now that that's triggered me into starting to read more so I, I read the Bitcoin standard by Saifedean which if you haven't read I'm sure most people in your audience are familiar with it and if you haven't read it yet you absolutely have to read it and uh, the ethics of money production that I um, was talking about too earlier and it just it's amazing that you think you know a lot of stuff and then the more you learn, the more you realize that there's so much more out there and so much, so much more to help make uh, sense of the world. And as I'm going through understanding how uh, the money economics, it, it's, it's really bringing clarity to 
why the world works the way it does now. Yeah, yeah. And so many, I, I try so hard to hammer into people's minds um, that they need to understand economics. Like it's not, it's not like, a, oh, I'm not really interested in that thing. It's like, no, you need to take the time. You need to go back and read through history. You need to go back and read through these theories that you were never exposed to in any public school. Like I, I fully guarantee that. You need to understand, like, you need to understand how our money system works. Like, these are extremely important issues. And I know people don't do it. I know they don't go and read these, like, most people. They don't go and read these books. It goes in one ear and out the other because they still ask the same dumb questions where if they had, like, a like a more solid grasp of the economics and the monetary systems and just the complete mess that we're in now, they, they wouldn't have so many of the misconceptions that they do. And a lot of them, they're, they're really, really basic, like, economic fallacies, like technophobia, the idea that uh, technology is going to replace all of our jobs, or the idea that, you know, we need a universal basic income, or the broken window fallacy. It just goes on and on and on. And, and you really have the public education system to blame. Oh, absolutely. It's so bad. And it's so frustrating because these just simple economic principles, like you said, just minimum wage, just that should take uh, 30 seconds of explanation why that shouldn't work. And it should be very convincing to someone and they just reject it. Uh, this reminds me of something. I, I think I put it in one of the, the DM things that we're in is that I, I bought my nephews for Christmas a couple of the Tuttle Twins book books. And the one was... Uh, I think about uh, an allegory for the Federal Reserve. And my sister-in-law sent me a text this week, said that, uh, you know, we could bring Dr. Seuss books, but to the uh, the book sharing event for first grade, he's bringing this book about uh, bartering. <laughs> I was like, yes. So um, it's not things that people, I'm going to see him this at my nephew this afternoon. And he's like, he's seven years old. And I want to I want to talk to him about the book and like see what he understands about it, uh, because if he's able to if a seven year old is able to understand these concepts, you know, why isn't a 45 year old adult able to? It just means that they're just rejecting it for bad reasons. And that goes into what, what I was talking about before with the, uh, you know, the public school system. It's all related. It's part of that. uh bad positive feedback loop with money production and the state taking over um kind of my explanation there's a little clunky i'm trying to push myself to to be able to talk about this stuff because um, it's again one of these things that got a thousand ideas popping around in my head trying to to put it all in place to be able to talk through it better but it's just it's another symptom all this stuff with the education system and that the government's taking over more of it and it's getting more expensive to send your kid to a, a private school or to even just, you'd be much better off homeschooling them, uh, is uh, it's just all part of the same, symptoms of the same problem. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I 100% agree. Uh, so we, we talked about kind of how you, you fell into Bitcoin through, through your, your libertarian circles. Um, I have a couple questions about that. I mean, I guess I guess my main one would be, you know, how how many of the libertarians that that you knew before, that do they get Bitcoin now, or are they still stuck like in that gold bug rut? Um, and then, like, how is your how how is your understanding of economics grown like in the last year? What what have you learned? Sure. Uh, so I think there's a couple different camps that that the libertarians are in. There's the one ones that understand Bitcoin 
and are more or less Bitcoin maximalists and and they kind of get stuff. There's another camp that never really got into Bitcoin or cryptocurrency for, for whatever reason. I think a lot of them, for good reason, they saw what we were talking about before with these 16-year-old kids talking about how, you know, $2.75 for a Verge is a steal and think like, this is this is really dumb. So why would I get involved in something like that? Uh, and then there are the people that uh, have not tried to go any deeper in their economic understanding and fell prey to a lot of affinity, affinity scams in the, uh, in the crypto world and kind of reject uh, Bitcoin and like this multi-coin world or, or do the, uh, well, I, I believe in, in the free market, so I don't want to say, I, I think we should have as many, many different currencies as, as we can. And it's like, well, I mean, I'm not against uh, taking away competition through anything other than market forces, but I mean, if uh, someone opens up a, a burger joint down the street from the burger joint that I normally go to, and, and they literally put, you know, human feces on a bun, I'm not going to go eat there and say like, well, I believe in free market competition, so I, I don't want to like say that this is this is literal crap and you know, people shouldn't eat this because it, it's terrible and it's a scam that they're calling this a hamburger. So it's, uh, yeah, as, as far as the uh, kind of the gold bugs go, starting to understand the money and history and everything and Bitcoin and, and what makes Bitcoin uh, such a high value proposition is, is starting to realize that, you know, gold was great and... Uh, Actually, Slappy and I did a, a little like quick hits YouTube episode about this that some people were kind of surprised that we were saying this, but you know, gold ultimately failed. Gold ultimately failed as, as being hard money. Um, it was the best technology they had at the time. I don't mean to say, when I say that gold failed, I don't mean to say that gold was never any good, that it's, it's terrible, it's garbage. It just... It was the best thing they had at the time, and the product of it was wonderful. I mean, the Industrial Revolution, the late 19th century was, I mean, there was so much innovation and so much wealth creation, still things that were innovations that were still greatly benefiting from today. Um, but there were enough flaws in it that governments were able to use it to control the money supply and eventually no longer use gold as money at all. Um, so I think there are people, a lot of libertarians out there, they're still holding on to the idea that we just need to go back to gold and that'll, that'll solve our problems. But that doesn't, going back to gold may have, like somehow if government said, hey, we're going to go back to a gold standard and it's going to be hard, we're not going to have inflation and everything, all the incentives are still there. The security of flaw, flaws of gold are still there. It would be like saying, well, we'll we'll dissolve the government tonight and then expecting not to have basically the same exact government tomorrow, waking up to the same exact government as we have today because nothing else has really changed. You need new tools to fight against this, uh, this constant struggle between the market, uh, voluntary transactions, people working together to uh, increase their wealth and everything versus the state trying to gain power and gain control 
And I think people don't recognize that uh, the gold train has, has come and passed. Not that there's no value in gold today, but as a money, we need something, we need something better. And I think Bitcoin right now represents that thing that takes us to that next really like big step in, in innovation and wealth creation. You really hit the nail on the head there with, uh, with gold. Like it, a lot of people bring up the intrinsic value thing, which in and of itself is completely meaningless. Um, and I spent a lot of time banging my head against the wall, like trying to help people understand like why, how, how little of the gold that's, that's produced every year has, has anything to do with industrial application. And if the store of value for gold narrative fell apart, gold would literally become worth like a, a small fraction of what it's worth right now overnight. Um, and, and to make the argument that it's like, oh, well, I can always, you know, melt gold down and, and use it for gold circuits or turn it into jewelry as an argument for its value proposition is, is extremely foolish um, and extremely misinformed in terms of gold's market cap. It, it, it just doesn't it doesn't equate, you know, the vast majority of capital in gold comes from the store value narrative. Um, and, and you could easily make the argument that a, a programmable, a, a portion of a programmable, uncensorable, immutable money network is has far more intrinsic value than a portion of a lump of metal, you know, that can be melted down and turned into jewelry. Um, but I wouldn't expect anybody who who didn't grow up, you know, in the world of of in the digital age, who wasn't born in the digital age, you know, like you and I were, um, I would expect that to be very difficult for them to internalize. Um, there are there are some older people, like some baby boomers, who get it, but they're few and far between. You know, if we're being honest, and I think as our generation starts to replace the baby boomers in the workforce, and as this newer generation starts to come of age, um, that's when we're really going to see this this change in the world starts to start to really accelerate. There's going to be a, a retooling of the human condition, so to speak. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, even like my dad is almost seventy, and when I first told him about Bitcoin, he just, you know, rejected it like anyone else would. But uh, once I kind of explained it that, like, that, you know, all your money right now is digital. Do you think that there's is met, there's uh, enough dollar bills to uh, to account for all the, the bank accounts out there and all the, the things that are on computers saying that you have a dollar? And so that, like, actually got him to be like, oh, okay, well, I don't see how that's that's a problem that it's you know it's 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 purely digital um and so when he's actually jumped in a few times where someone he's been there when someone's talking about about bitcoin and they they ask about i don't understand how you can just have electronic money goes what do you think your money is now the the other thing too with intrinsic value um people don't like there's there's different definitions of of what that means so there's like a, a financial definition for or i think it just means like you know your capital equipment is going to be used for something so that has like intrinsic value in that in that sector or whatever but i think people m- make the mistake of saying that like no intrinsic value therefore means that it will always be valuable and uh, i try to tell people it's like all right well we're getting pretty technologically advanced and and space travel is is looking more and more like it's going to happen and you know what happens when we go to a moon or start or another planet or an asteroid and start doing mining and what happens if they find a supply of gold in there that just 
you know, absolutely dwarves the supply that we have on Earth. And, and the known, the amount of gold that has been extracted on Earth is, is not that much. Um, so if you go and, and start mining an asteroid and you find this, you know, this huge gold vein in it, and I don't know if that's, if that's you know, even in, within the realm of, of possibility, but say it could happen. You know, what happens to your intrinsic value of gold when now it's just basically, it, it's, it's super plentiful? You know, it's not going to have the same value as it does now. You're not always going to be like, well, I can always get something, get it to hold and uh, hold my wealth really well. So it's really, really kind of a tenuous thing. Or even on Earth. Let's say that they, they do some sort of mining and, and they just find this huge gold reserve somewhere. You know, it, it, it destroys the value. But with Bitcoin, I mean, the cap is $21 million and... I don't think anyone expects it to ever change at this point. I think that's like the one part of the code that I think you would you would have um, just unbelievably massive pushback that it could it could never. If Segwit2x failed, um, I don't see any way that someone would be able to change the hard fork to uh, more than 21 million. Unless, you know, I, I guess the threat would be to have the, uh, uh, what's it called, where kind of they inflate it with uh without people knowing that i mean that's that's really important that there's that um that hard cap on it that gold just obviously doesn't have even if it's something that isn't likely very very likely to happen bitcoin's basically like nah it's <laughs> it won't happen yeah i would encourage anybody who hasn't uh internalized stock to flow to to look just go to google and google stock to flow bitcoin and chances are it'll bring up a chart um that sort of lays i probably like silver and gold and bitcoin over time um next to each other and what their stock to flow ratios look like And, and what that means is basically like on an annual basis how much of how much new um supply of that commodity is created based on how much already exists. And if you look at stock to flow ratio for for Bitcoin and compare it to what it is for gold, over the next several decades, Bitcoin's becomes infinitesimally smaller than gold. And if you understand why gold became valuable in the first place, it was because stock to flow ratio, because before Bitcoin existed, gold had pretty much the best stock to flow ratio on earth with the exception of maybe some rare earth metals. Um, Bitcoin just at, at a at a very quickly approaching point in the future, Bitcoin is going to absolutely dwarf anything else in terms of stock to flow ratio, and that that's a really important concept to understand because we've never really had anything truly artificially scarce like Bitcoin. You know, until Satoshi Nakamoto figured out how to blend proof of work and blockchain in such a such a way that we were able to use it for money, this wasn't even possible. Yeah, that's a great point about stock to flow, and that's one of the first concepts that Saifedean Amus brings up in his uh, in the book, The Bitcoin Standard. Um, and and that is it, it's it's such an important concept, and that it really does drive the point home uh, to show why why and that just one aspect that that one money's superior than another. And so, uh, just for those of you watching who who might not have heard about it, uh, Rollo and I actually co curate a website uh with jw called 10 days a bit or 10 hours of bitcoin 10 hours of bitcoin 
go check that out. It's the number 10, like one zero hours of Bitcoin.com, 10 hours of Bitcoin.com, where you can find like just a 10 hour crash course on everything you need to understand to go from like zero to hero in Bitcoin to understand all this stuff that we're talking about, all these concepts. Um, that's a really great resource. You know, it's it's been curated by by those of us that, that feel like we understand this. We're not going to try to show you any altcoin projects. We're not going to try to convince you to sign up for something with our referral links. This is like a no-nonsense educational resource for people who just want to understand more about Bitcoin and why it's so important and why it's so valuable. So I would highly encourage any viewers to go check that out or to, to check out the Bitcoin standard, like Rolo said. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I mean, that, that website was, cause I've, I've gone, you know, trying to find this like a resource page just to send someone. And I was, uh, the first thing I was going on and using was, uh, was lop.net slash Bitcoin, I think is what it was. And it has like a bunch of Bitcoin resources, but it wasn't, it was just kind of a data dump of a lot of stuff. And there's a lot of good stuff there, but it was like, I would go through some stuff and then, you know, it, I was missing stuff when I watched one video or consumed something. And, and I would send, I would send that link to someone and be like, well, I would just kind of watch, do these first couple things. I don't really know what to do, but this is great because it just, you start from the top and there are about an hour chunks and you just go down the line. And it really is a, uh, Really, I think we'll we'll get you like like you said, Colin, on the uh, on a really good path to to really have a good base of of knowledge for this, and then that will really make you want to start learning more stuff. And I've been thinking about putting together a book list for people after going through that because I think my reading history has actually been very fortuitous with how like the order I've read things. Um, so I read the. Uh, God, the Democracy That Failed uh, by Hans Hermann Hoppe a little while ago. It wasn't something that was like uh, changed my mind about a lot of stuff because I was already, you know, very into the libertarian thing. Uh, but it was it was a very interesting book and, and it really dug, dove into ideas like time preference and about how, uh, you know, monarchies were treated their money and the people they were taking money from differently than they would from you know like the liberal democracies we have today and that information like i found it interesting but it was kind of uh like kind of laid dormant in my head until i started getting involved in the bitcoin stuff and then i read mastering bitcoin to understand the the technical side of it and then i went to the bitcoin standard and that started reading the bitcoin standard started making things from the hoppa book make a lot more sense like time preference and then now I'm reading uh, the ethics of money production, and it's and it's talking about, it's making this stuff about how the princes and the monarchies, how they treated things, make a lot more sense from the Hoppe book. And then now, of course, you know, through reading uh, the ethics of money production, I I've recently bought uh, De Moneda by uh, Nicholas Arezme because he's referencing that in the book all the time. It's like, oh, here's the next. Here's the next stage of what I have to read. So it's kind of a, an interesting uh, progression of books that I'm reading, but also it's, it's circular being like a linear thing. So it, it kind of all ties back in. It's going to make me want to read God, the Democracy That Fails again so I can understand how, uh, how good that book really is. 
th that's awesome. I, I, I love to read and I wish I had more time to read. I wish I could just download books into my brain because it takes so long to get through them. And I don't, I'm the kind of guy who likes to actually like flip through a physical book. Um, I don't, I'm not a big audio book guy, even though I spend a lot of time listening to podcasts and stuff. I don't know what it is. Um, but yeah, I would encourage anybody to check out every single one of the books Rolo just mentioned. I've read all of them myself. They're all fantastic. But we've got a few minutes left here, Rolo. I wanted to jump into, uh, I want to hear for like from your perspective, what do you think a post-Bitcoin world looks like? Where, where are we headed with this? I think that we are headed for unbelievable wealth creation and rises in standard of living. Um, if you look at that kind of uh, wealth creation boom that we had, the, the zero to one, as Saifedean talks about in, in the Bitcoin standard that gold brought about, that, you know, in the, in the towards the end of the 19th century, how just all of this new stuff got created that wasn't there before. And we're still seeing the benefits of that kind of stuff. And if you look back, if, if someone from 1850 were to consider 1890 or 1900 or even like 1870 to look at the year 1900. Like they couldn't fathom what those next 30 years are going to bring. And you keep looking at that and it almost looks like technology is improving exponentially right now. And we're still just on the, uh, you know, riding that, uh, that, that gold wave maybe. Uh, I think that even, you know, even in our own lifetimes, that 15 years ago, you know, a smartphone like this, I, I would have never thought that that would have been a thing or that we're able to do these, these recordings, uh, video recordings like this, um, and just connect with people all around the world. I mean, there's been so much innovation over the last, you know, 150 years or so since gold became money and produced that first boom. I think the next Bitcoin boom is going to be like that, but in, in ways that just we can't even fathom. And I know that sounds like really aggressive and maybe pie in the sky, but if Bitcoin really does take hold and become money, it just, it will have the effect of just destroying so much control that the state has and allowing people to actually engage in true economic calculation. And so that resources can be managed much better because we're getting, we've gotten all this in, innovation and productivity and improved quality of life over the last hundred years, despite having increasing uh, government control over things and uh, getting getting their grummy hands involved in, in in everything. And despite that, despite how awful governments are, it, it's still major innovation. And hopefully, the, the thing that I really hope Bitcoin does is that it makes war very uh, very unprofitable and uh, more difficult to do because you think about over the last hundred years with two world wars um, and then for the last almost 20 years the United States has just been in, in this perpetual war and it was in perpetual war before that but it wasn't wasn't as as explicit as it is now just imagine if if those uh, if that money wasn't going towards bombs and those bombs weren't just destroying all of this stuff around the world, just just how better off the world would be just from that. So if you couple those two things together, I, I'm looking forward to it so much. It's so exciting to think that we're kind of on this leading edge of the next stage of the of the world and, and what it's going to do. And, you know, poverty, global poverty has been has been 
reduced by a tremendous amount over the last century. And could poverty as we know it be wiped out with this uh, next wave of Bitcoin? Um, I think that's, that's really an exciting thing to look forward to. It's funny because I can't believe I'm, you know, if you, if you asked me this question a year ago, like what the future looks like, it's going to be like, ah, you know, I don't know. But now it's just, it's looking pretty good. And that's, that's kind of what make, keeps me interested in this kind of stuff and in Bitcoin because it's, it's much easier to be excited about something when the out, like what you're looking forward to is amazing <laughs> as, a, as opposed to like, oh, we got these governments that just get, keep getting bigger and bigger. And, you know, what's going to happen when they, when they do X, Y, and Z and, and, and make everything worse. Not saying that, that it can't get worse before it gets better, but, you know. Yeah, I, I would probably make the argument that if anything, we're underestimating the impacts that Bitcoin is going to have. I think that, that we're more likely to be underestimating, you know, how profoundly it's going to change the world. Because um, I guarantee nobody truly anticipated what came of the internet. I guarantee nobody truly anticipated what came of electricity or automobiles or, you know, any of those things. You, you just can't because um, the world creates new paradigms and, and then new thing, new variables emerge out of those paradigms and you, you can't anticipate for those. Uh, it's, it's simply impossible. So Rollo, man, thanks so much for coming on the show today. I'm going to have to have you back on here at some point so we can, we can delve more deeply into this stuff, but uh, where can people follow you and where can they find your show uh, if they want to if they want to check out your podcast? Sure. Uh, and I had a blast today, too, and uh, love to come back on. Love to have you on our show again, too. Um, but, yeah, McFlugel.com is, the, uh, is the, the best place to find everything. The podcast, we're on, like, iTunes, Stitcher, Podbean, a lot of the, uh, the normal podcatchers. But uh, you can find all that stuff at McFlugel.com, so, like, Google McFlugel. Uh, I'm on Twitter. That's probably the the most the place I'm active the most on social media. So at Rollo McFlugel, and and we have a Facebook page. Um, but also, uh, Slappy and I have another project, uh, LibertyMugs.com, where we sell libertarian themed mugs and and now some T-shirts. We actually have a uh, MathBot.com hat that uh, put together with JW for promoting uh, his project, MathBot. Um, so it's fun. I mean, the Liberty Mugs thing, it's I use that mostly like to troll on Twitter and just to get, you know, people ticked off at me, but it's fun. <laughs> so if you guys haven't checked it out before, mathbot.com is an awesome, awesome resource that our friend JW has created. It will help you teach kids how to learn math and, and programming. And it's, it's pretty cool. It's, it's fun. Even for an adult, I would recommend you, you check it out. And uh, eventually, I don't know how, how far off this feature is, but you're going to be able to deposit some Bitcoin into into this account and it can pay your kid out with a little bit of Satoshis every time they complete a level to sort of build a feedback loop of learning and getting paid, getting rewarded for uh, learning valuable skills. So definitely, definitely go check that out. Anyway, Rollo, thanks so much, man. I will I will see you in the next time that we do this. Thanks, Colin. Hey guys, welcome back. I hope you enjoyed my talk with Rollo. Rollo is a really cool guy. He's 
got a lot of experience under his belt when it comes to reading through a lot of the Austrian economics theories and kind of spending a lot of time thinking through these things and talking through them with, with guys like JW and myself. Uh, you, you should go back and watch some of the Q&As that we participated in on, on JW's YouTube channel. There are some really interesting discussions with a lot of questions that come up really commonly and people don't necessarily always have the answers to. It's it's really good to get together with a group of smart, free-thinking individuals and, and talk through a lot of that stuff. You can find more about Rollo's podcast or find him on Twitter. You can find all links for all of that stuff down in the show notes. You can also find links to his Liberty Mugs website if you want to show your support for Liberty and the free market while you're drinking your coffee. And also uh, JWU's MathBot program, which I will have linked down in the show notes below as well. Well, that's all I got for this show, guys. Don't forget to subscribe to the show, like I said earlier, if you haven't already. Any likes, thumbs up, stars, anything that you can give us on whatever podcasting platform you're listening to the show on, I absolutely appreciate, and it goes a long way to help me out. You can find the Bitcoin Echo Chamber on any of your favorite podcasting services, whether it be Spotify, Overcast, iTunes, all those. We're, we're on most of them. If you find one that I'm not on, let me know. I'll try to get that up there. Uh, we have a website, BitcoinEchoChamber.com, where you can stay up to date with all of the Bitcoin Echo Chamber's latest episodes, maybe find out some news about the site, or you can contact me directly at BitcoinEchoChamber at gmail.com if you want to reach out about sponsorships or you have any questions or anything like that. Anyways, guys, thanks so much for listening. I really appreciate all of the support that this show has gotten, and I will see you guys next week.